Welcome to the Remote CEO Show. My name is De Niro Bartolini, AKA De Niro B. I'm an acclaimed business coach and my moonshot is to change the face of work and business forever. With each episode, we bring you some of the most inspiring and insightful interviews with six, seven, eight, and nine figure entrepreneurs to crack the code on how to build your remote empire and have fun while doing it. Thanks for stopping by and let's get started. What is going on, CEOs? Daniel will be here with another episode of the Remote CEO Show. Today we're here with Jason Osser. Since leaving corporate America over 15 years ago, Jason has been a successful franchise business owner, a certified public accountant, a real estate investor, and an adjunct professor. Jason's diverse experience enables him to bring insights into how to create a growing and successful business. Jason has recently published Writing QuickBooks to the Promised Land, how the world's most successful entrepreneurs use the world's most popular accounting software to make more money in less time. Today, we're going to talk about taxes, how to structure your taxes when you run a business remotely, and much more. So stay tuned and let's get started. All right, Jason, I'm very excited for you to be on the show. How are you doing today? Fantastic, Danero. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Jason, I ask every single one of my guests to tell me more about themselves. A, uh, what were you doing before you started the business? And is there anything exciting that you want to share with us? Well, absolutely. Um, I consider myself an entrepreneur. I've um, owned many businesses over the years. And about 10 years ago, I've always had accounting as part of my life. And I've always have... um, worked in an accounting-related field that I eventually started running some embroidery companies and other things. And about 10 years ago, I really realized that I love accounting and I wanted to become a CPA working with local small businesses to help them. Um, From there, I wrote a book that came out several years ago, writing QuickBooks to the Promised Land, which is available online. And most recently, I also started an advisory course to really help small business owners save in taxes and make better financial business decisions. Most recently, something really exciting that happened is I played poker for a hobby. And I was able to win a seat into the World Series of Poker main event just this last November, a couple of weeks ago. And they had, I believe, 6,650 entrants. And I ended up winning 47th, not winning, but coming in 47th place, doing pretty well. And I was actually on TV for quite a bit on day six of the World Series of Poker. So that was an exciting thing that just kind of recently happened in my life. That's actually a very, very interesting uh, thing. I mean, you definitely need to, uh, how long, quick question, like how long do you practice uh, to get 47th uh, the World Series? Well, I've been playing poker as a hobby for probably the past 10 or 15 years, where I probably play at least once a month with friends and a couple times a year go to the casinos. And that's all I've really been doing. I mean, I've read some books on poker and different strategies, and um, I just went in with a real positive attitude and some ideas of how I wanted to handle certain things. And it's, you know, like a lot of things in life, it's part skill and part luck. 
And I was fortunate enough that I thought my skill was okay. And it obviously was. And I also was able to catch some of the right cards at the right times to make things happen. So it just was a real fun experience. That's a very, very interesting thing. And I'm sure that our listeners, if any of you uh, like poker, you you can just uh, Google Jason's name and and uh, watch him play uh, the World Series online. Yeah, you can check it out. I'm on day six of the World Series of Poker Main Event. So it's on our YouTube <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. All right, Jason, let's get right into the episode. I have you on my show today because I want to first share uh, part of your business strategy right now post-COVID. I know that you went from uh, having just, you know, quote unquote, a brick and mortar solution to offering a more remote uh, way of, of, of offering your service. And this is something that uh, at the Remote CEO Show, we really, really want to know more about. And then in the second part of the episode, I want you to share your knowledge and experience with our listeners so that you can help them strategize on how to basically save money on taxes and, and, and make their profits uh, and, and get more profit. Basically, so let's start first off with how you've been running your business in the past two years. I I know that of course during COVID, all businesses had to restructure, but you've done something very interesting. Can you share that with us? Absolutely. So my my business really has two parts to it. One part is a CPA practice part where we work with a lot of clients, do planning, do taxes, and things of that nature, and. Over the past two years, we've set it up so that during COVID, um, the people who work with me for the company were able to work from home, able to remote it to computers, able to use tools out there, DocuSign, things like that, to be able to assist clients without physically meeting them. Now, the CPA accounting part, obviously dealing with personal financial information uh, is a very sensitive topic. So we like having a physical location for people to know where we are and how to contact us. But the second part of the, of the program that I'm unveiling is a advisory service program. And that really is to help business owners make better financial decisions, save money in taxes and protect themselves. And I'm doing this in a virtual environment. I've created approximately a hundred videos and I'm using a program called Kajabi where we're gonna be basically um, selling this as a package to small business owners to make better financial decisions. And for this aspect of it, I have been using people setting up the program, setting up the videos and doing things to help me market it. So we're ready to um, unleash this new advisory program. It's a very interesting way of, of, of really differentiating your business and branching out in your market. I have several of my clients that are in a very similar situations. They're not CPAs. Uh, some of them are, but some of them are, for example, physiotherapists that, uh, of course, by, by nature, they would need to meet people in person. But they were actually able to create Kajabi courses, pretty much just like you talked about right now, and also have one-on-one consultations. So, are you are you also offering one-on-one consultations uh, with the videos, or is it just straight videos on Kajabi? Well, I, I will be in the future, considering this is a project we've been working on, and we're just unveiling actually now. Um, 
We are starting with a video course, but with that course, we're gonna have ways to interact. So we're gonna have regular group meetings or chat meetings where we can speak as a group. And uh, from there, I do imagine down the line offering one-on-one -on -one meetings for people who are looking for that as well. Okay, it's a very, very interesting situation. Again, like I said, most people that come to me that are unsure what to do with their online business, um, I mean, they already have a brick and mortar, they always forget that there are several different ways that you can offer a service or a digital product to to basically uh, fuel your your main your main business model. And so you've been using uh, contract work. Um, where do you go and look for your contract workers? Um, I've been very happy with Upworks. I found a few people in there that have really been able to help me launch this part of my business. And the reason I'm actually launching the advisory services now at an online platform is I was doing this one-on-one -on -one as an instructional method. And during COVID, I did a lot of it through Zoom. And I realized that a lot of the material was similar for people in different businesses, which is when I came up with the next idea of, I should really offer this more as an online course where people have the option of viewing the videos, pausing it, rewatching it, taking notes, learning the material, and still giving them access where if they have questions that we can help them through those questions. Makes total sense, makes total sense. And, and that actually takes me to the next part of the interview when I really wanted to get a bit of uh, you know a hands-on uh, kind of help from you because here's the thing. We have a lot of uh, clients and listeners that are listening from all over the world. But for now, uh, let's talk about, uh, let's say that you have a business in the US and you decided to go fully remote. And of course, when you decide to go fully remote, uh, you have a set of perks that come up. For example, you can travel wherever you want to travel to. You can spend a few months in Mexico, a few months in Bali, uh, COVID aside, <laughs> this is pre-COVID. And hopefully again, very soon, we're going to be able to travel um, as much as we want. So are there any uh, limitations that our remote CEOs at home should be aware of when it comes down to the amount of time that they can travel outside of the country? And if so, is there any type of business model that they can set up with uh, their accounting that actually allows them to travel more than other types of businesses? Well, travel is always an interesting topic because generally speaking, the work is performed wherever you happen to be. So if you happen to be traveling inside the United States and you're traveling to different states or you're in Florida one month and California the next and traveling different places, but you're doing work in those locations, it's important that you track where the work is being done and where you're earning income from that work because you likely may have to pay tax in multiple states or multiple locations where the work was being performed. Um, as far as international travel goes, it gets a little bit trickier. So for any type of travel, there has to be a business purpose for that travel. So you're not just going there because you wanna go there, but there has to be a business reason. Either you're meeting with clients, you're attending a conference, a seminar, 
you're doing something that substantiates a business reason for you to be there. But if you've met that threshold that there's a business reason for you to be there and you're doing work there, then the place that you're doing the work, you likely may have income taxes that you have to pay in that jurisdiction. Makes total sense. And so, for example, we're based in Canada, in Toronto, Canada. And mm-hmm. for me to, to be considered, uh, it, it, you know, like someone that runs a business in Canada, I need to be, I need to be there for six months plus one day. And then after that, I can literally be whatever I want, whenever I want. It doesn't mean if I'm working, if I'm on vacation, visiting family or whatever I am doing. Uh, But as long as I am, again, in Canada for six months and one day, I can say, hey, I I live in Canada. Uh, So is there something like that in the United States as well? And if so, is it the same amount of time? Well, for the federal purposes, for federal income tax, it, it really depends on Um, what your residency is, where if you're a citizen or a resident, you are taxed on worldwide income. So what that means is even if you live overseas or work overseas, you likely have to still file a U.S. tax return. And there may be ways to reduce the tax through credits or deductions, but you still have a tax filing obligation. For the states, because there are 50 different states, all the states have slightly different rules. Mm -hmm. So I am based in the state of Virginia, and Virginia also has a worldwide income, which means that if your last place of residence was Virginia and you left the country and you're still a U.S. citizen or resident, you likely have a Virginia filing requirement as well. And again, those are different with each of the 50 states as far as what their requirements are. Okay, that makes total sense. So let's zoom in into Virginia for a second. And let's say that you decided all of a sudden that since you're working remotely, you want to live in in England for Mm -hmm. for about a year and work from there. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, you're in England and for the English government, for the UK government, um, after a year that you're there, I'm assuming that they will start wondering what you're doing and how you're paying your, your bills. And so they may even ask you uh, to, to show uh, proof of, of, of income. So in this moment, you're telling me that uh, you will then be taxed possibly by the UK government as well as you're going to have to be liable to pay taxes in Virginia? Well, you, you may or may not have to pay them in Virginia. You have a tax filing requirement, oh. which means that you have to report the money from England to federal and to Virginia. Now, frequently, you will be able to get credits or deductions where um, if you live outside of the United States, there's frequently a standard credit that you can get that you could offset um, $110,000 or so of income without paying tax on it. Or if you live outside the United States um, and you pay tax to another country, you could frequently um, offset the taxes paid to another country against your U.S. and usually Virginia taxes. Um, But there is still a tax filing requirement where you have to fill out the tax form to see if any taxes might be due. Okay, so this is a big difference. Okay, that that makes total sense because... Uh, some people may think that when your tax when there is a tax filing requirement, that means that you are required to also pay taxes. But as long as you're able to prove that you are living somewhere else in the meantime and you're paying taxes somewhere else, you may be exempt from paying taxes in 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 your state. Well, you wouldn't be exempt, but you may get a credit or okay. a de- or a deduction. So you you may not have to pay taxes, but you have to fill out the tax form and do the filing. 
makes total sense. And another question that I always, always, always get from my uh, from my listeners, but also from the people that I coach is, is this. Listen, I hire, a t- I have a team of 10 people, but no one is on payroll. They're all either full-time or part-time contractors or people that are on contracts like you hire on Upwork. And Upwork is also a very interesting example of a of a payment that can be on one end considered almost as a, as a software, but on another side of things, you can, you can, you can, uh, you know, um, you can classify it as, as contract work. So for people to use Upwork for full-time or part-time work, or even just, uh, you know, once in, you know, once in a while contract, what uh, do you suggest people do with those types of uh, payments and, uh, and how can they classify them on their income or on their um, corporate tax return? Sure. So if you're hiring someone through Upwork, there generally is precedence that they own some type of business. They usually have examples of work that they've done. You know that they've worked with many other clients. Um, so when you pay them, you're going to be paying them as a contractor for your business. So that's a fully deductible expense, assuming that there's a business purpose to what they're doing for your business. So for example, I hired someone recently to help me set up my Kajabi site to accept credit cards and to do different things on that. And this person is definitely a contractor. They don't just work for me. They work for a whole bunch of other clients doing this type of activity. There actually um, is something it used to be called a 20-factor test, and the government changed it to a um, three-factor test, uh, financial control, relationship control, and things like that to help determine if someone is a contractor versus an employee, where if you're ever in doubt, if someone's actually working with you directly, you have a lot of direct supervision, you're providing them with the tools that they need, the computers they need, the machinery they need, there's a high likelihood they might be an employee, where if they are someone who has established themselves as a business, you know they're a separate business entity, and they're helping many other clients in addition to you, there's a high probability they're probably a contractor. Uh, But that is one of the buttons that the IRS looks at closely. They want to be sure that you are properly classifying who you work with um, as either contractors or employees. And when in doubt, the government, of course, always prefers people be listed as employees where you're withholding taxes and you're paying their share of um, self-employment tax and things of that nature. So that's always the safer route if you're ever in doubt, but it's also the more expensive route, which is why planning comes in to help determine looking at this three-factor test. uh, Are they usually, do they meet more qualifications where they're likely an employee or likely a contractor? Makes total sense. And and it actually, uh, it makes me ask a follow-up question, uh, which is actually a tough question in many cases. Um, can you give me, uh, you know, a pro- pros and cons of hiring someone both as a contractor and or, or as an employee? Let me give you an example. Of course, you're not going to if, if you need someone to do a co- contract work for, for your uh, Kajabi store for your Kajabi uh, platform. Of course, you're not going to hire someone uh, full time as, as an employee for a one time project. But let's say you have ongoing SEO or, or so, uh, search engine marketing needs. Um, how are you going to choose whether you want to hire someone 
uh, on maybe even a part-time employee basis or part-time contractor? Okay. So one of the things I would do, if, if, if you type in employee versus contractor, 20 factor testing Google, you'll get a list of 20 questions. And this is what used to be used to help determine if someone is a contractor or an employee. And within that list, there's a lot of gray areas, but I would go through the list with my clients. So we would say, we look at things. Do you have direct control? Do you set their time frame? Do you give them the tools needed to do the job or do they supply their own? Do they have a risk of profit and loss? Meaning if someone's an employee, they're just getting a paycheck. So there really is no risk of loss as long as they work for you and work that 40 hours a week, you're paying them something. Where if there's a contractor, and cost run over budget, there is a risk of loss. So there's yeah. these 20 of these questions that we kind of go through, and uh, this is what the government provides. And we look at how many of them lean towards contractor versus how many of them lean towards uh, employee. And from that, we make a decision that the vast majority of these lean one way or another. So we're comfortable. That's how we're going to classify them. And again, it's still a gray area. The government could always question it. It's um, well, it's, it's one of those areas that always comes up for, for questions because it's not concrete. Makes total sense. Makes total sense. Well, you give us uh, some food for thought and also some great tools that our listeners can use in order to, to define uh, really, or try to define at least the type of uh, contract that they want to, to, to create for, for the person that's going to work for them. So uh, at this point, um, just now, I wanted to ask you, um, is there maybe one of the one to two top mistakes that you see your clients make when it comes to their tax preparation or anything along those lines that you would want to share with our listeners today so that they don't make them? <laughs> well, I, I think one of the biggest things that I see is th there's a lot of really complexities in the tax system. But the reason there's so many complexities is because people have so many options of what to do. And one of the biggest options for business owners is how are you setting up your business? What type of entity are you gonna be? And that decision could have profound impact on your taxes. So one of the things that I do with clients is we spend a lot of time discussing um, different types of entities, how it affects your taxes, how it affects other things, how it affects your liability, how it affects you um, for raising money and starting the business. There's a lot of things that go into business entity setup. And even as a business grows and matures, it frequently makes sense for them to possibly change entity types. And frequently there are a lot of tax advantages or uh, tax planning that can be done as part of entity selection and changing your entity. So that's, that's one of the areas that we look at quite a bit with business owners. Makes total sense. Jason, you've really been super helpful. And I know that my listeners want to know more about what you do. Um, so at this point, can you first off share a bit more about your um, platform and how it can help people navigate through you know taxes to to their taxes and then let us know where can people find you online you just broke up and i'm sorry could you repeat what you just said because i didn't hear it on my end 
Sorry, I was saying, if you don't mind sharing a bit more about what your course is all about and how it can help um, uh, business owners, and then can you tell us where people can find you online? I would love to. Thank you. So my course is a advisory course to really help business owners make better financial decisions. It helps, of course, plan for taxes. That's always a question I get. But it also helps with other important things. How are you minimizing your liability? How are you making best decisions going forward? Are you What steps are you taking to plan for your future, the, your kid's college, retirement, things about, of that nature? So we combine all those in an advisory course to help you make solid decisions. And I put together a website. It's Osser FPS. And the FPS stands for Financial Planning Systems, which is the name of my advisory course. So again, my last name is O-S-S-E-R, and those are S's as in Sam, FPS.com. And if you go there, you can actually watch a couple of free videos that I put up, which are really geared towards business owners to help them uh, take some actions to save. You could also sign up for a newsletter, and I'd be happy to share some more insights with you. That's amazing. Great, great, great information. Jason, where can people find you online? It's osserfps.com, O-S-S-E-R-F-P-S.com. Awesome. Talk to you soon. And I am very, very happy that you, was on, you were on the podcast. I'm looking forward to having you back in the future. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Bye. And this is it for today's CEOs. Thanks for staying with us until the end. Can I ask you a big favor? Can you please leave a review? I know the podcast app is not super straightforward. So if you don't know how to leave a review, just DM me on Instagram at denierob, D-E-N-I-E-R-O-B. And I will send you the direct link to the review section. And to show you my appreciation, I will answer any business question you ask me during that conversation. So thank you again. And I will talk to you again soon.